0: Forward to balanced budgets, forward to better care, and sooner, forward to new schools. But to be the progressive voice for Manitoba. We set out to run a a positive campaign-based ideas, and clearly, that was our first mistake. (laughs) Decision Manitoba 2019, the podcast. Hi, I'm Richard Cloutier. Well, the results are in, and the progressive Conservatives returned with a whopping victory. 36 seats to the NDP's 18 and three Liberals. David McLaughlin helped run the successful PC campaign, and he offers his insights into the victory and what it all means. David, we've known each other for a few years, but mm-hmm. for our 680 CJOB Global News audience, we should talk a little bit about your
1: background. Sure. You've been involved in campaigns for a whole lot of years. Oh yeah, that's right. In fact, I'm wearing my 1999 New Brunswick Bernard Lord uh, shirt right now, because that's about the only clean laundry I have left. And uh, that was one campaign that uh, that I did. So I've done some campaigns in New Brunswick. And of course, last time out, I, did, uh, I managed uh, Brian's campaign in 2016. And then... Uh, this one, I've also done federal campaigns as well. So yeah, how did this one differ from some of those other campaigns? Well, this wasn't a change election as I've been in, in others. So certainly 2016 here, uh, 1999 when uh, in New Brunswick. So these are different kinds of election. When you know an incumbent uh, government is a harder. Slog, just in in electoral terms, because you're defending a record while promoting, you know, yourself uh, for the future. So, you know, if you think about football, it's, uh, you know, forward tackle or something, you got one arm out in front, you got another arm out in back. You know, you're trying to keep people, uh, the other guys, from kind of uh, g- grabbing on you from behind. So you're you're always looking both ways. In uh, a change election, you know, the wind is at your back, and it's just a different kind of dynamic. For sure, 2016, a change election,
0: largely because of the NDP was tired and the PST. So mm-hmm. Brian Pallister fulfills those promises. The exclamation mark is on the PST reduction, allowing you to go early. Mm -hmm. There's always risk in going early. And I realized the whole, uh, issue here was 150 years next year. But I think you go early because you know you
1: can win by going early. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, uh, no question. When you, you know, Premier, when he's making the call, which is uh, is his call, and still, uh, you know, allowed to do it under Fixed Date Elections Act. um, Yeah, you look at those kinds of 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 confluences, and so uh, my view was that uh, Brian and the PCs would have won spring next year. Uh, and would have won now, uh, you know, as, as we did last night. Uh, but if the government, you know, if Brian was going to go earlier, then he, this was really the only window to do it because you wanted to get it in before the federal election. I mean, that's a, always a strategic kind of, uh, of consideration because the federal election, which is, you know, starting today, you don't know what the outcome of that is and how does that sort of, uh, as we say back home in New Brunswick, change the water and the beans.
0: The... Healthcare issue and battleground Winnipeg, where we've seen the conversion of emergency rooms to urgent cares early on at Victoria, but later on, really, the eve of this call at Concordia Mm -hmm. and at Seven Oaks. Do you think the healthcare issue had a major impact on the campaigns?
1: It had a major impact in that it was a very much a media-driven issue. Now, not to take away from the substance of it, Richard, but, I mean, uh, anything that had healthcare in it, you know, was automatically front page or, you know, online or on radio, on TV. So in that sense, it very much shaped the dynamic uh, of, of the of the narrative of, of the campaign. The NDP said, this is what the only issue is, so that, of course, that's uh, what they went. What we found, in fact, when we did a lot of focus group research and, and, and testing beforehand uh, for the group Groups and the, the demographics, voters that we thought we had to persuade uh, uh, to, to vote for us, we found that there was really not an appetite to kind of go back. That, in fact, although there was angst in some cases, there was some, uh, you know, I want to know that it's going to be better. I'd like to be feel a little bit better about it. There really wasn't a sense of, let's just go back to where it was. And in that sense, what we thought... And 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 found as the campaign went on, uh, what the NDP did is they didn't offer anything that was clear clarity enough to people about we could make it better. It was very much a let's go back P- uh, dynamic, and, and uh, what they put on offer. And we felt very confident throughout that that wasn't going to bite enough to uh, to make a material difference.
0: Does it help explain the erosion of the liberal vote when Wab Canoe on the eve of the election, basically said there's only two teams here that can win: the progressive conservatives and us to mm-hmm. some of those votes, those healthcare anxiety votes, just go to the NDP, or is that just a, a a natural kind of growth, given the fact that he he's been in office for a few years?
1: A bit of both, but I think in in this case, uh, Richard, I would say that uh, it was a, a pretty. You know f- fair strategic play by the ndp to, to try to grab that ground right out of the gate and make it theirs and uh i mean what they had to do was persuade people that they were credible early on and i think they they did that enough with a platform and uh, you know in a van and all those kinds of things so they showed that they were you know they could actually run a campaign um and they had to make certain that the you know soft liberals would remain with them, or come over to them at, uh, at, at some point. But, you know, Dougal and the and the uh, Lamont and the and the Liberals very much went hard left in, in certain ways. And so I think that dynamic was a, h- a harder one for the NDP to sort of work through. And then we saw it at the very end of the campaign when uh, Wab canoe said, made that plea, right, for for Greens and Liberals to come uh, his way. So they too were actually looking to try to figure out who they are and what their base is.
0: With David McLaughlin on 680 CJOB, Richard Cloutier, it the Decision Manitoba 2019 podcast. When you look at early days, was there anything in the Pallister campaign that gave you? pause for a little bit of anxiety here, because sometimes campaigns don't go as well as you want them to go.
1: Yeah. Everybody thinks they're so well scripted and they're sort of preordained, especially with a result like this. And of course, you, you don't feel that way uh, inside. You can feel confident as things go along, and then, but things you know, happen, stuff happens, as they say. Um, I think the biggest angst uh, was that it was a summer election. And by that, I mean, it's, people were connecting and, and paying attention only indifferently in the, uh, in the early stages. So in some of our tracking, for example, Richard, we found that up until about labor day, only about 25% of the folks that we were tracking, we were focused very much on target writings, only about 25% were saying they were following the election closely. Uh, and of those we were winning. Strongly with those, so we felt that okay, our message was getting out. It was a, re, uh, a resonating message, uh, and we had to have some hope, if you will, that when people started to pay attention in their voting decision-making process, which would be Labor Day and, and beyond that last week, that they would more come our way. And I think we we, we did in fact uh, see that. But that you know that's an angst thing because you're there's it's the X factor in there.
0: Crime and safety, I mm-hmm. know, has been a big issue in Winnipeg. You dealt with that in the pre-campaign. Yes. Talk about that.
1: Well, uh, I thought it was very important that we put a marker down uh, on on that uh, earlier. We knew it was a, as an issue. saw it in our research, but clearly, it you know it, it is an issue. Uh, the government had uh, was getting a bit of heat for not having acted with enough alacrity, if you will, on uh, on it. Um, and we wanted, in, I guess, in strategic terms, sort of look at it that way. Um, there's a public safety dimension to this, and we wanted to own that part of it because we felt very strongly uh, that, in fact, the other guys wouldn't, and they, in fact to type they played to type you know crime or public safety wasn't even mentioned in the NDP uh, platform. So we knew that that issue had both a treatment and a health I- a dimension but also had a public safety dimension. Who's mostly concerned about public safety issues? I mean you know, everybody is obviously to a degree, but women voters in Winnipeg. And that was a key demographic we were going after. So we were sending a signal early on, but it's also part of, okay, in the run-up to any election, if you're in government, you try to deal with some issues that are still outstanding in some way in order to then, in the campaign proper, to get it back on your issue, your ballot question. And for us, the ballot question was obviously trust and taxes. Uh, We knew we would own that, but also I would say we we created this narrative uh, successfully about forward backward because we knew that the NDP brand was not something that people absolutely wanted to go back to. There was a a sense, however controversial, and uh, the government had been on things like healthcare, as you mentioned, Richard, there was a sense of unfinished business and let's just keep going.
0: The annihilation of Wob Canoe in the ads, uh, pre and during online on television, You do the Darth Vader approach. It's somebody else other than your leader, but it looks and portrays his record Mm -hmm. and a criminal past. You won't apologize for that because negative works, doesn't it?
1: well sure it 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 works i mean there's always a, there's both hope and fear and emotion and uh, in, in in politics but in this case um w- the way that we presented it uh, and and think was quite fair uh was that uh there was a, a sense of deception that their things were hidden that he hadn't been fully uh, uh open with uh, voters and uh you know i think he actually missed an opportunity to do that, I think it would have been smarter for him, if you will, in strategic terms, to have, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess approached his own narrative on his own terms rather than let, you know, your opponents sort of define. But these were issues that we knew were lingering there. But we also found that. Uh, I guess in our terms, insufficient people knew about it. And so this was partly to to raise it. But he very much uh, opened that door uh, and uh, both allowed us to do it. But he left it hanging out there. And and, and once voters heard about it and saw about it, uh, they were, you know, kind of they were really wondering, thinking twice whether this was a a person they could vote for. So
0: who won that young woman vote? The ones that were not necessarily comfortable with Brian Pallister, because of his image, not comfortable with Wob Canoe because of his past.
1: Who won that vote? Well, I need to go through the entrails, if you will, of the election and see, because it's a it's a a good question. Um, I'm not certain anybody just won it just yet. I mean, and in our tracking, you know, we would break it down into demog- age demographics. So the we, this was the 18 to 34 group uh, we call it. and that moved around an awful lot in the campaign, and I and I think that is kind of. Typical for uh, for young voters, they are uh, unattached uh, voters in many ways. They come in and out, uh, you know, low information voters in that sense. They are not paying attention in a, in a daily uh, way to the campaign. So, the, you know, uh, I'd like to see, but my sense is that um, is that uh, it you know it didn't break in any one particular way. Perhaps they just stayed home. With
0: David McLaughlin, we're talking about the result of the twenty 2019- nineteen. Provincial Election on 680 CJOB. It's the Decision Manitoba 2019 podcast. When I look at Winnipeg, I'll make the analogy now as a result of this result of it looks like a dartboard. In the suburban ridings, the progressive conservatives have managed to take pretty well all those ridings that are in suburban Winnipeg. A lot of those ridings also touch on the capital region save Transcona, where you lost that to the NDP by 115, a few close ridings there, Mm -hmm. you won that. And that was strategic on your part.
1: Absolutely. We knew where we had to go, where our votes were, um, and and which seats. It was very much a target seat campaign built on from last time. So yes, a change election, you may get a few extra seats. Thompson, for example, in northern Manitoba, not a traditional (laughs) Tory seat at all. So uh, we uh, solidified the core and then we went uh, around in Winnipeg and saw okay where could we hold and then start to to build uh, to build in from there in this case, the demographics are very much working for the progressive conservatives. So those suburban votes, as Winnipeg grows, these it's really growing conservative voters in, in many ways. And so our appeal um, uh, on uh, a managed approach to health care, balancing the budget, taxes, educate the education, property tax thing, Richard was was pretty big, and that those voters uh, were uh, who we targeted. We're, we're obviously. Uh, attracted to our plan. And as I look for the future, I'm feeling pretty good about those seats staying that uh, way. I mean, and though the NDP went up a little, uh, this is their third worst electoral result since 1988. Um, they uh, ran a campaign that was, in my view, very much a core vote kind of campaign. They had a very narrow appeal. They didn't travel very much outside. And and I don't think they actually laid the foundation for much to grow with.
0: And here's where I agree with your assessment, because when I look at the rest of Battleground Winnipeg, yes, they were able to win in St. Vital and in st james so they build that center of the target yes. but it ends and those suburban yeah. ridings that continue to grow and you're going to continue to yeah. see growth despite the fact that we're going to probably see some infill housing in winnipeg but when you go outside of the perimeter uh, the agriculture vote is solid progressive conservative in the swing ridings of dauphin and swan river you were able to hang on to those and grow those ridings and in Brandon, the mm-hmm. two Brandons are solid Tory now. That used to never happen.
1: That used to never uh, was the case. Absolutely. So uh, we call it the blue wall. <clears throat> we put a blue wall around uh, uh, Winnipeg, and then we would encroach in. I mean, obviously, try to get to St. James, Fort Gary, uh, St. Uh, St. Vital, but those kind of suburban and and uh, you know bedroom communities and uh, and that uh, those are staying very much in our uh, in the conservative fold. So. What you really have when you start a campaign as a campaign manager, you're looking, okay, what's my path to victory and what's the other guy's path to victory? We could not find a path to victory for the NDP at any juncture in the campaign. So, uh, it, then it was, okay, well then how do we grow our majority and how do we retain that because we want to do certain, uh, certain things. So they're, you know, waking up and, uh, you know, you win a few seats and feel good for a, a, a little bit and, and that's fine, but they are no closer today, the day after, the morning after the election, to a credible path to victory in an, in the next election or the election after that.
0: And that's because, and I'll ask you the question, how does Wab Canoe, the leader of the NDP, connect to voters in Dauphin, in Swan River, in Brandon, and some of those other rural communities mm-hmm. where traditionally... If the NDP are going to win, they have to win those ridings yes. other than just cleaning up here in Winnipeg.
1: Absolutely. Well, you you work at it and you put down some roots. And frankly, he uh, did not take advantage of this campaign to introduce himself to those voters to start to do something that would put down some roots. And our advertising and our approach and what we talked about, I think, will actually uh, make it quite difficult for him. So I'll leave it to the NDP to. Decide if he is the leader to uh, to take them forward. But there was no evidence to me of, of a campaign that was really trying to do much more than poach a few seats here and there, solidify Corvo worried a bit about the obviously the liberals on the left. And I think voters saw that, you know, there's an old adage, if you audition for opposition leader, you win it. Well, he auditioned for opposition leader, but on a single issue, and therefore he didn't have a chance, and they did not take the opportunity to introduce and try to build some of those routes for some other you know, connections that I thought with voters.
0: Did Dugod Lamont and the Liberal Party make that connection he needs to grow the Liberals in this province? It's very difficult. Yes. Many people have done it. When you look at that Liberal vote, uh, again, uh, Liberals are popular here, especially with Justin Trudeau, we'll see about that in the federal mm-hmm. uh, call but their vote is not efficient unlike 1988 where Sharon Carsters yeah. was able to just decimate the NDP the Liberals are really relegated to two or three seats, maybe the odd fourth seat.
1: That's what it looks like. In the campaign, we used to jo- we were joking that, you know, Liberals are like undertakers, they always let you down, <laughs> because we wanted that Liberal vote up a bit, right, because that would split and, and whatever, and they can't seem to retain enough vote in between, uh, you know, they, they do a little better in between elections or something, and then election day, they kind of, you know, they, they fade away. I, I saw in the Liberal campaign a bit of schizophrenia, and uh, in this sense, political schizophrenia, in the sense that they were trying to figure out which you know who to appeal to they very much moved uh, at, at the end they were moving more to the left I mean the day before a couple of days before the election announcing a one point something billion dollar spending you know spree in one year or something so well there's probably some hard left voters that might appeal to, uh, you know like that but that centrist liberal which we mostly associate as with the liberal brand across the country was not there so this was another party that was uh, trying to figure out who it is, what it represents, and until they do that, I think this is the kind of seat total they're going to get.
0: The Greens were hoping for one seat in Wolseley. That didn't happen largely, I think, because of the strength of the local NDP candidate, who is also a school trustee and
1: redistribution as well. Yeah, I I agree with that. uh, uh, Redistribution was a a bit of a challenge for everybody in that I think probably more favored the Conservatives uh, overall, but it made uh, everybody a little anxious trying to see where that goes, and it was a little harder to predict. But local candidates do matter. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, and that's a good thing. And so I, I think it, uh, you know, for democracy, I think it helps voters make that choice. And, and I would agree with your assessment in, in, in the case of Wolseley.
0: Now, for Brian Pallister, and I'm not going to ask you whether he sticks around for the entire four years, that's for him to decide. But uh, the base and you leave uh, this 2019 election that the progressive conservatives, and I remember interviewing the Doer people back in in early days in 2003, 2006, where they thought that they could certainly uh, change the electoral map of Manitoba. And they did for a, a few years there, but you're looking at changing the electoral map of Manitoba based on what we are seeing in the growth of Winnipeg and the capital mm-hmm. region. And I think that's a very interesting point because as Winnipeg and the Capital Region grows, we're seeing houses of four hundred, five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars $500,000, and that's where I think the education property tax issue comes in, because yes. it's going to be phased in after the books are balanced over 10 years. So next time around, you'll be able to say we're continuing to uh, deal with the kitchen table mm-hmm. issues. I'm not sure how effective that was, but certainly... When you look at Manitoba, compare them to Saskatchewan, et cetera, you get to own those Tax and household issues yeah. as a result.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in that sense, the uh, uh, the markers that we put down for this campaign will be the things uh, that we feel will help us in, even in the next campaign. And and that it was part of where uh, Brian was was going with. I mean, he's he was looking strategically. How do we build? How do we do this? Invested a lot of time in the dolphins and the swans pre twenty sixteen to bring them in because he knew if I had that. It would be able to you know we'd be, then have a chance to keep it, which we did this time out, and in each time we make it harder and harder for our opponents political opponents to to find that that, that path to victory so if I looked at the trend lines uh, you know demographics've been talking about and where people are going to be living and the kinds of issues that I think are going to manifest themselves in, uh, f- that people pay attention to, such as the education property tax, I feel very Positive about that kind of legacy piece, with uh, one uh, even one additional um, element that I, I, I feel that needs to be mentioned. This uh, the government was reelected. This government was reelected in the midst of some serious transformational issues: healthcare reform, balanced budget stuff. I mean, you know, it's been a kind of a tough few years in terms of public image uh, for the government and taking on some things. With still some more stuff to do, and it prevailed. And that suggests to me that that very narrow... Um, uh, class warfare piece that the NDP and the Liberals, to some degree, but they very much like to do, doesn't have that kind of broad based appeal, and so the tr- the trends that we've been talking about are very much going to be uh, supportive of, of where of the conservative message, um, and and I think the you know the NDP is going to have to really double down and rethink w- who they are and who they represent, and we saw that there are always factions and fissures, but you know is it a unionist party? Is it a government union party? Is it a private sector? what is it Uh, uh, you know those kinds of identity politics versus kitchen table politics i think are going to continue
0: in the months and years ahead though the health care changes that were introduced to winnipeg will be introduced to rural manitoba Mm -hmm. you're quite aware of that does this uh give uh, the progressive conservatives the the notion that yes we can keep on going with these changes because it's good for manitoba it's what needs to be done but those generational changes will will also people don't
1: like change, no. And you have to manage that change yes, very much. So um, you can wear people out. You can there, there's a, can be a change fatigue uh, that can actually happen in, a, in an electorate in society. And so, yeah, I, I think uh, Brian is aware of that, and the government will will have to be aware of that. And so, uh, the way that it is done will uh, will be very uh, critical. I mean, it sounds kind of basic, but in fact, that's the case. You know, that is basically the, the truth you have to manage this the right way you have to communicate to people and you have to find ways to to do it so it sits in and then it's it okay people are, will accept it and then move be on be a part of the change as opposed to a yeah. victim of the change a- absolutely and and uh you know if you it depends to so you know sort of to some degree what side of the of the desk or the kitchen table you're on do you feel you're a victim or do you feel you're okay you know part of this so um brian is a is a transformational premier i don't think people have fully appreciated that he. Uh, wants to make bigger structural changes, such as balancing the books, such as health care reform education reform coming up, uh, uh, this, uh, this mandate with the K-12 review and now the education property tax. I mean, the table is being set for some major changes in terms of the way Manitoba is being governed. So the government will have to pay attention to the way that they do it for obvious reasons, so for political support, but also to get the changes in. But they did get a mandate and that validation that you sent people said, okay, we do need to do something here. Uh, You know, healthcare changes and and other stuff. But yeah, you have to watch this politically. Uh, And and as I say, that change fatigue, uh, there can be an inflection point that you weren't even aware of. And next thing you know, people have just said, that's it, I'm done. And you can't get them back. Even if they say to you as well, yeah, that change is a good thing. I mean, yeah, we probably have to do it, but I'm kind of done with you. So uh, there's going to be a, a lot of that, I think, for the government to, to sort through. I don't see this as a stand-pat government. I know Brian well enough. He is not he's a, a premier that wants to do things. Uh, and so I think it's going to be uh, a very busy uh, few years for Manitobans.
0: David McLaughlin, appreciate the time, appreciate the insights. Thank you so very My much. My pleasure, Richard. Good to see you. David McLaughlin joining us on 680 CJOB. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to Decision 2019, the podcast. I'm Richard Kluchek.